0: But you know, one of the things I love about the kingdom of God, (laughs) you can go ahead and go to the next next slide, it's a a scripture we're going to look at in a minute if you'd like, but um, one of the things I love about the kingdom of God is things like my friendship with Maurice. Maurice is one of my absolute best friends in the world, and yet, you know, from a worldly perspective, we don't have a lot in common, but it's only through Jesus That that we can be as close as we are, and like Adrian said, that he can have the influence, you know, on guys like me, on on all kinds of people. One of the things that's so amazing, and I'm sure in the year that they've been here, you guys have already gotten to know this, but, but about Maurice is Maurice can become friends with anybody, with anybody. It doesn't matter their background, their age, even language, you know, he figures it out. And, uh, you know, in, in Maurice and Lauren, you just have a couple that love God so much, and just love people so much, you are very lucky to have them here. And we're grateful to be able to be here and spend time with them. So, you know, Adriana mentioned my folks, uh, and so I grew up in the church on a video. The king, you know, one of the guys talked about it, he's a kingdom kid. I'm, I'm also... If you want to call it that, a kingdom kid. I grew up in the church. My parents were missionaries, actually, in Argentina. And uh, I just, I'm so grateful for the example that they were to me. And I just wanted to share a little bit about that today. And, and I definitely, I think about Joshua and the statement that Joshua makes in Joshua 24. And I really feel like this is kind of the culture that I was raised in. So in Joshua chapter 24, in verses 14 and 15, it says, Now fear the Lord. And serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." And, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that. But I'm, I'm very grateful to my family because I really feel like I, I, I saw that, I experienced that. It wasn't just lip service, it wasn't just my parents bringing us to church on Sunday, but it was them living it. It was them saying, we're going to go on the mission field and how can we serve the Lord? And the first time that we moved to Argentina was actually a really dangerous time. And I, was, I was a year old. And they took their little baby into a very dangerous place, especially for Americans, but they just said, hey, this is what it means to serve the Lord. And, and, and so I was raised with that. I'm so grateful for that. And, and I, I hope, I know that, that many of, of us, you know, many of you in the New York church, New York church has been around a long time, that, that many of you, you've been Christians a long time. You know, m- many of you, I'm sure some of you in the audience like me were raised in the church. But many of you are raising your kids in the church. I think we've got to really think about this in terms of more than just are we saying it, or are we living it? Is, is this really the, the legacy that we're passing down? And, you know, I want to do that with my kids. I think about it. I think, okay, the impact that my parents had, okay, what does it mean for me and who do I need to be so that my kids don't just, you know, hear me get up and preaching on Sunday, but that they see it. They see it in our lives. You know, and unfortunately, this this conviction often doesn't get passed down. You know, sometimes we think, and I think, you know, if you look at the history of our fellowship, of our movement, I think sometimes what we believed early on is now that we've become disciples, everything just kind of happens automatically and we're in the church and everything's going to work out. And it was a pretty rude awakening for a lot of people when that wasn't the case. And a whole lot of my friends growing up Aren't, aren't faithful to God. And I think a lot of it is their parents just thought it was just sort of going to happen. You know, unfortunately, this is a lot harder than we think it is. You know, even you look at the Bible, you look at what happens in the Bible, like Joshua makes this statement, and he says, you guys need to choose who you're going to serve, and then what happens? In Judges chapter 2, you know, I love the book of Judges, not because it's really inspiring, it's honestly not inspiring, It's scary. But it's a warning for us. And sometimes we can learn from warnings, right? And so God tells us, okay, we've got to hear this. So in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, After that, after Joshua died, a whole generation had been, gathered to, had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baal. See, see that next generation even though they had Joshua saying these things that next generation grew up and somehow the first generation didn't pass it down and that's, that's a scary scary thought and then you see the results of that you know we go through we're kind of taking selections from verses 10 through 19 of, of Judges chapter 2 it says the next slide I believe here they, uh, it says they aroused the Lord's anger and his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies. The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. They were in great distress. And so, you know, when, when we when we don't pass it down, God says, okay, listen, you're going to have to live with the consequences. You know? And I don't, not really even you. Your kids and your grandkids are going to have to live with the consequences. But then in, in verse 16, the next slide... It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those raiders. You know, what happens is the people finally realize, Oh man, I need God. And they cry out to God and God delivers them. In verse 19 it says, Well, when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. And so if you look at the whole book of Judges, this is what you see. You see this cycle. There's a cycle over and over again in the book of Judges where you have a generation that is faithful and then you have the people forget about God because everything is good. And then, and then they, they suffer the consequences of that. And then God sends them somebody to bring them back to God and, and once again they're faithful and you see this pattern over and over again. And, and it's, it's sad but it's also kind of a guide for us, right? So we see this pattern again, you know, next slide, just to so you, you know, you're with me here, that one generation is faithful, but then the next generation is unfaithful. So again, many of us here, um, you know, really, I guess all of us here are one or the other, right? We're either first generation believers, first generation disciples of Jesus, or we're the next generation. And then you become that generation that's supposed to pass it down anyway. But we, we all have to hear this message. We all have to hear, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm one or the other. If, if I'm first generation, I better make sure I'm passing it down. And if I'm next generation, I better make sure that I'm an exception to the pattern that we see. I got, I got to decide, okay, you know what? I see the pattern. I hear the warning. I'm going to be an exception. You know, but, but sadly... The normal, the, the standard—that you, you have to be an exception because the rule sort of is what it is—and it's not just the Book of Judges. If you, if you look through the Old Testament, if you look at uh, Eli, who was, uh, you know, the, one of the first of these men of God, and he's he's a priest over Israel. And in the First Samuel chapter two, verse twelve, it says, "Eli's sons were scoundrels; they had no regard for the Lord." So Eli is this amazing man, and his sons don't know God. You think about Samuel. You know, he's the guy that goes and anoints David. The last judge over Israel. And, and, and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, his son did not follow his way. And it goes on and talks about all the crazy stuff they did. Again, these are this is Eli and Samuel. These are spiritual men. And yet they weren't able to pass it down. Then you think about David. Everybody knows David. We all love David. David and Goliath, you know. But you look at his kids. And in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 13, we read about Amnon and and Tamar, which is a really sad story where one of David's sons rapes one of David's daughters. And then you read about, a little bit later, about Absalom, another one of David's sons, Decides, I'm going to go take this into my own hands and kill Amnon. And then David banishes Absalom And then there ends up being this war, right, in between the people that want to follow Absalom and the people that want to follow David. And Absalom ends up dying because of this. And then another one of David's sons, Adonijah in 1 Kings 1, again rebels against David and tries to take the throne. And then you read about Solomon, who gets off to a good start, but doesn't finish very well. Even David wasn't able to pass down his love for God to his kids. You know about Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18. It says there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah either before him or after him. Hezekiah was incredible. And yet his son Manasseh in 2 Kings 21 is credited with the fall of Israel. It says it's because of Manasseh that God said, you know what? I've had it. That's it. It's over. His dad, there's nobody like him and yet the son falls that far and so, so again, I just I think what happens is there, there can be such a tendency as disciples of Jesus to think I'm a disciple now. I go to church. I've kind of cleaned up my life, and I'm good. And my kids are just it's just going to kind of work out. And many of you that, that have been around a long time, you know that's not the case. But what are we going to do about it? What is what is your response to this? And again, one generation is faithful. The next generation isn't faithful. We can have our our spiritual highs and lows, but what what it's really about is are we going to continue to grow throughout our lives? Are we not just going to get comfortable? You know, and I mean, for me, this has just been, uh, kind of seeing this and understanding this, it's been sort of a passion of mine and a dream of mine that I want to be an exception to that rule. I have these amazing parents and I got to see these incredible things growing up. And I don't want to be this next generation that falls away and doesn't appreciate it. And, you know, those of you who are next generation, are are you with me? Do you want to be an exception to the rule? You know, parents, are you going to be an exception? Are you going to be different? Are you going to raise your kids to really love God? It's it's not just in the Bible. You see, if you look at 2,000 years of church history... You see these, these radical people doing incredible things and then the next generation just goes back to, to depending on, on their human wisdom, you know, apathy, playing church. It's just, it's a pattern in our nature. And so we can, we can get discouraged by it. We can throw up our hands and quit and say, well, it, it is what it is. Or we can say, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. I, I'm going to fight I'm going to do my part. I'm going to be an exception. But we've got to decide we're going to do that. It doesn't happen on accident. Will you do that? Will you, will you devote yourself to being different? Will you live and give yourself to something that truly matters? And so, so if that is your heart, what do we do? How do we do it? And I just, I just love the story of Joshua. You know, we read about how Joshua finishes his life and says, as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. But to me, Joshua's just so inspiring. And, and uh, back in Joshua chapter 1, I want to just look at a couple of things from Joshua, and then I'm going to share with you some stories about what we've seen God do down in our church in Texas. But in Joshua chapter 1, I love... This is maybe my favorite chapter in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And and kind of, you know, point one we can take away from Joshua is be strong and courageous, right? It said over and over again, be strong and courageous. And, And that is what God is calling you and I to be. You know, it's interesting because it's not just here, but if you go back and you look at some of the scriptures about Joshua, even in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 31, verse 7, it's actually Moses that's telling Joshua, hey, be strong and courageous. And then in Deuteronomy 31, 23, right after that, it's God that's telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. So God keeps telling Joshua this throughout his life. Be strong and courageous. I need you to be strong and courageous. And if we're going to be different, and if we're going to pass along a radical faith to the next generation, I think God's telling us the same thing. We've got to be strong and courageous. I, you know, my, uh, my first year in college, I left home and, and went to college. I went to high school in Dallas and then went to college in Austin. And, and my first year, I was just walking around this campus of 50,000 students and I decided, you know what, I'm going to read this chapter of the Bible every day, you know, the first two weeks I'm at school, because I want to walk around this campus and remember who my dad is, you know, remember who God is, and that he's telling me to be strong and courageous, um, and it was, just, it was just encouraging, it was encouraging to, 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 to have that focus as I started college, and, uh, and just to think about, okay, what are the things that God is going to do here? And uh, one of the things God did, incidentally, is he, he introduced me to my amazing wife. We met the first week of school. Um, and uh, she actually studied the Bible, became a Christian. Towards the end of the first semester, we dated through school. We actually graduated at uh, 8 in the morning from the same business school. And then we got married at 4 that afternoon. Um, so well, college is really, yeah, wrapped up in all that. So... You know, it's interesting, when you decide, hey, you're going to do something, you know, try to, try to dream about doing something for God, sometimes God says, okay, here you go, I'm going to give you something you didn't expect. I, you know, th- there's some things here in verse 3. It says, I'm going to give you every place where you set your foot. That's how God wants you to walk around the Bronx. The, the that God has said, I have given you every place in the Bronx where you set your foot. It's yours. And that's the mentality He wants us, His sons and daughters, to have. In verse 5, He says, I will be with you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's what God wants you to hear. See, Satan plants all these things in our minds, but God is saying, No, I am with you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And then in verse 6, now, there are some conditions here, right? In verse 6, He says, You need to obey the law. You know, he goes on and he says, that's how you're going to be successful. He says, meditate on it day and night. So he, he's saying, I want to be with you, but you got to be with me. So I feel like, you know, with, with any challenges in my life, and definitely as we've moved and had different places where we've gone, I've tried to kind of carry this with me. And I think that's one of the reasons Joshua 1 has become a favorite chapter and so 11 years, almost 11 years ago, in August, uh, my wife and I moved from Austin to go and leave this church in South Texas. It's the RGV Christian Church. It's the Rio Grande Valley is the name of the, the area down there. It's a bunch of small towns along the border with Mexico. And so God sent us down there, and so it's kind of the same thing. Okay, Joshua 1, this is where God is sending us, and, and this is just the mentality I really believe God wants us to have is everywhere we go, I'm going to obey God's Word, I'm going to meditate on it day and night, but I'm going to know that God believes in me, I want to know that God has chosen me, that God is telling me to be strong and courageous. You know, but, but he, he also um, wants us to dream. And, uh, you know, in, in uh, Numbers 13 and 14, the Israelites decide they're going to go in and explore Canaan, and they send 12 spies into Canaan, And 10 of the well, all 12 spies come back. I'm assuming, you know, many of us are familiar with the story, but all 12 spies come back, and 10 of them, all they see is the obstacles. 10 of them say, you know what, we can't do it. There's giants over there. We couldn't possibly go in and live in Canaan. But Joshua and Caleb, they're different. And in in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 6, it says, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land. Tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so, so, like Joshua, we need to be dreamers. You need to be a dreamer. Because he didn't see the obstacles. He just started dreaming about what God could do. He started dreaming about, oh man, this is going to be amazing. You know, the victories that we're going to win against these guys that we have no business defeating. And then we're going to go in and this land is going to be ours. And he just started dreaming about what God was going to do. What are your dreams for God? I hope you have dreams for God. I hope you don't just see the obstacles, but that you're thinking about, oh man, I want to I wanna do incredible things for God. You know, maybe right here in the Bronx. Maybe God wants to send you somewhere. We saw all these places, you know, in this missions video. Maybe, maybe God wants to send you to Haiti or to Guinea. You know, maybe He wants to send you to Jamaica. Maybe, you know, some of you are, are, are volunteering right now, right? Um, but, but the point is, what, what are we going to do for God? I hope we're dreaming. You know, one of the things we, we've talked about where we live is the idea of 1%. You know, if, if just 1% of people are open, then what are we talking about? You know, if 1% of people in New York City are, are looking for a relationship with God... I mean, I, you know, I looked it up, 20 million people in the metro area, that's, that's 200,000 people. You don't think God wants 200,000 people to be disciples of Jesus in New York
1: City?
0: That's just 1%. But I think sometimes we feel like, oh no, we, got, we filled up an auditorium. <clears throat> you know, we're, we're doing okay. You know? And not just one here, right? But I know there's people meeting all over New York this morning. So hey, we got a big church in New York City. We're good. And God is saying, you're not even like a, a tenth of 1%. What are you doing? We've got a dream about what God can do but in order to do that we've got to be able to see past the giants we've got to be able to see past the obstacles when we moved to lead this church in the valley um, I, I, you know we, we, hit, we went into the ministry in 2000 and if you've been around our churches you know, things kind of everything hit the fan right after that and uh, so we actually my wife and I had never been a part of a church while working in the full-time ministry that grew like just everything kind of went crazy, right? so we'd never seen a church grow while we were, you know, working there. And then I had grown up in Texas and seen all these small churches just basically stay small churches. I'd never really seen small churches really really grow. It just seemed like they they kind of stayed stuck and somebody would move there and they'd be there for a little while and then they'd come back into the bigger city. And, and, you know, you just... So I I felt like, okay, I I can see the obstacles. I I haven't been a part of a growing church. I, I haven't seen these small churches grow. And we didn't have any desire to go leave church. We were leaving campus ministry in Austin. We were excited. It's where we went to school. We loved being there. All our college friends were there. But God just, God sent us. I'm not going to tell you the story now, but God just made it completely obvious. Go. Okay, God, whatever you say. But, but it was easy to see the obstacles. You know, I mean, I think I went with kind of this feeling of, okay, God, just sent me, but I don't feel adequate. I feel inadequate. I don't feel like I know what to do. But we just really believed, okay, God, whatever you ask us to do. And so, again, I grabbed on to Joshua and, and, you know, allowed Joshua to inspire me. And one of the things we realized early on through help from other people is, where is your leadership going to come from? When we got there, there was a little less than 50 people. And it was all people kind of about our age, married, a bunch of small kids. No, no real campus ministry, no real singles ministry. Uh, just, you know, about 40-some-odd, you know, young married. Um, and uh, so, okay, what do we do? How do we do this? And somebody said, well, you know, where are your leaders going to come from? Where, where's the youth going to come from? Hey, there's one thing that in our movement we know how to do is campus ministry. And uh, Mike Oliver, who was, you know, decide, Mike and Amber G were discipling us, and they just said, you know, we believe in campus ministry. So we went to campus. And we said, okay, let's, let's, let's try that. Let's try to just start up a campus ministry. And uh, it was really slow at first. It took us a while. I, I went and enrolled in a class. You know, Adrian and I would go to campus and just, you know, kind of do our best. We had one team who had graduated and he would school. And we're studying the Bible with all these people and nobody's responding. Uh, but at the, it's actually at the beginning of the second semester we had our first baptism, which is this guy, Mario Zamora. Um, and uh, so we studied the Bible with him all semester. The only reason he came to Bible Talk is because he lived next door to the guy where we were hosting the Bible Talk in the dorm. And the guy told him, hey, come play video games. Sure, I'll come play video games. And then we did a Bible talk, um, actually kind of more like a Bible study, right? And uh, he was atheist, but just over time, we worked through things with him, and then after Mario, we just started, we just, Mario started to bring people, we just started to see more people come. By the end of the first year, we were having like 15, 20 friends in these dorm rooms, you know, at, at these Bible talks, and by the end of the, uh, <coughs> I think by the end of the semester, we had about five guys who had been baptized And then I think uh, the next picture is just kind of a handful of the people that started to get baptized, you know, early on in the ministry there. And and we just started, you know, we just kind of kept praying and kept, you know, investing there. And it was so faith-building for Adriana and I to see God work. And so the next picture... Um, is, uh, just as the group, you know, and I, I think I have these pictures, group shots that are kind of like every year, right? And it's cool because we can go back through and every year we see the group shots get a little wider, right? So we can go to the next one. Um, so this is, we, uh, we live near the beach. And, uh, so we started having these retreats, uh, South Padre Island down, down on the beach, we started having these retreats there. So this is, I think, the first retreat that we have in the next slide. Um, is the next one just as the group grew and then the slide after that is uh that was a few years back and then this this last fall we so what, what happens when you have a campus ministry is hopefully you know the students actually start graduating and so that's the goal right so this last fall for the first time um, we, had, we, we had basically no singles ministry but all of a sudden all these students start graduating all of a sudden hey look we have a singles ministry so this last fall we had a, a campus and singles retreat all together and so this is the picture this next one from, uh, from last okay no this is all the baptism um, I, lo- I love this picture because all the smiles I just love just how God grabs and transforms people's lives and is so encouraging okay now the next one So, yeah, so this was this past fall with all our singles and campus all together, and it was just just so encouraging. So, you know, we moved down there, and there was basically no campus, no singles, and about, you know, like I said, a little less than 50 young married, but this is, you know, at this point, we have about 30 college students that are disciples and about 30 singles that are disciples. Um, and so it's just it's obviously the church is completely different, and it just filled the church so much with faith. And, and it's just so encouraging to see God give the victory, right? So, again, w- what are your dreams for God? You know, I, I think this all came from, from dreams saying, hey, just God, what can we do? How can we be used? And then trying to grab on to Joshua, hold on to who he was. But see, the thing about it is, I can show you all those pictures, but that didn't happen in six months. You know, we've been there 11 years. It was very slow and steady, and there were times where, like, God, nobody's open. God, what is the deal? God, people are leaving. And so, you you have to be willing to fight. And then in Exodus chapter 17, it's interesting, right? Because this is Exodus, right? And if you know your Bible, Exodus comes before Joshua. And, and in Joshua, God's telling him, hey, be strong and courageous. But in Exodus 17, it says the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So, so it's not going to be easy. So we've got to be warriors. You need to be a warrior. You need to be willing to fight. And you look at Joshua, and I love this because you know God said, "Okay, I need somebody in all Israel. I need somebody to lead the charge. I need to choose somebody as my warrior." And He chose Joshua. So, okay, you're the guy. You're the guy I'm going to choose. And I just can't help but think, would God choose me as His warrior? Would God choose you? Would God look at, at the Bronx and say, I choose you as my warrior? I choose you to lead the troops into battle. And I just think as disciples of Jesus, our hearts should all be, man, I, I want to be that, in that place. I want to be in a place where God says, I see in you that you want to fight for my honor and my name, and I choose you. We should, we should at least aspire to that. But we need to know what our battles are. What are your battles today? You know, Maybe it's just battling sin. We all battle sin. Are you fighting? Are you a warrior in that battle? Is it, is it pride? Is it laziness? Is it selfishness and purity? Are you fighting? You know, sometimes we say, I'm struggling, but we're not really struggling because there's no fighting going on. We've just given in. But we've got to be warriors. We've got to fight. What about distractions? You know, I think distractions keep us sidelined. Work, school, financial issues, relationship issues. Hey, we've got to fight. We want it to be easy, but you guys know it's not easy. So we need to fight. We need to be warriors. Maybe it's just discouragement. I feel overwhelmed. I feel inadequate. You know, I think sometimes we just want to throw our hands up and, you know, just check out. But but no, God is saying, "Okay, I need you to fight." I, I know you're discouraged. But so be strong and courageous. I need you to fight. Or maybe it's trouble in the church. Have you seen any trouble in the church? if If you haven't seen trouble in the church today is your first day here, welcome. Glad you're here. Just stick around a little bit. It'll come. But we've got to fight, right? We've got to fight through it. And I'm so proud of so many of you that have seen the trouble in church and you're here today and you're fighting. We've just got to keep fighting. And we've got to learn how. We've got to learn how to fight. But ultimately, we know that the outcome is already decided and we know why it's already decided and we know who gets the credit and we know who it's all about. It's not about us. It's about God. And that's kind of the last thing I want to leave you here with is is it's, it's all about God. We've got to remember that. It's interesting because Marie said that in his, in his welcome today. We had not talked about it. But it's just, he started with it, we're going to finish with it. It's all about God. Think about, think about the miracle that Joshua got to see in his lifetime. Because Joshua, he got, you know, sometimes we don't think about this, but Joshua got to see the plagues in Egypt. He got to see all that. Joshua, he got to see God guide Israel out of Egypt and part the Red Sea. He got to see the destruction of Egypt's army, the manna, the quail in the desert, water from rocks. Joshua got to see all these miracles. Joshua got to see victory over the Amalekites. He got to lead the charge there. But he saw God deliver. Joshua got to go up with Moses and see God on the mountain. Joshua got to see God's glory fill the tabernacle. He got to see Korah's rebellion and what happened when people rebelled against God. The ground opened up and swallowed them. Joshua got to see God's judgment after the people rebelled in Numbers 14 and they said, no, we don't want to go into the promised land and God said, okay, 40 years in the desert. And Joshua got to see that. Joshua got to see them cross the Jordan again. God miraculously opened the water so they could cross. He got to meet the commander of the Lord's army. Imagine that. I don't even know, you know, what that means, but, but you just imagine, like, he got to see that. He got to see the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. He got to see this incredible victory over five Canaanite kings where more soldiers died because God sent hail than because of the soldiers themselves. You just think about all these things. That he got to see. And it gave him the strength to fight. And we just sometimes we just gotta open our eyes. Oh, I haven't seen any miracles. Well then you're just not looking. Every single person in here that has made Jesus Lord is a miracle. We've got to see it. I'm, I'm so grateful, I know Adriana and I both, we're so grateful for the miracles that we've gotten to see the 11 years we've been in the valley. I mean, I showed you, you know, to, to me, that, that's, it's miraculous to get to see, you know, something from nothing and just get to see God work in, in all these people's lives. And see this campus ministry built and the church transformed. The church has about 150 members now, so it's a completely different experience than when we got there. And uh, just people are excited to be there and so faithful. And it's just really cool too to see some of the stories. I love in Acts 2.47 it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not they went out and shared their faith with a gazillion people. No, the Lord added to their number. I love those stories. This, this picture is Roberto and Alejandra Melendez, And uh, Roberto was, actually Adriana was in the student union about to do a Bible study with the girl and, and the girl pulled out her Bible at a table there at the student union and Roberto was walking by. And he stopped and he said, oh, are you going to Bible study? Can I join? And he just sat down. And, and this was a while back, and Adriana said, you know, uh, how old are you, 15? Like, he just had this baby face, and, and he started telling her about, about his, his fiance. And, and Adriana's like, oh, you, you're, you're, too, you're too young to get married. You, you and your fiance need to come over for dinner, and we need to, we need to do some, some pre-marriage counseling. And so they came over that week for dinner. We studied the Bible, did pre-marriage counseling. Uh, Everybody told them to wait. But they were just determined to get married. Uh, But they got married. They got baptized. They had already been reading the Bible on their own. They had already been really searching for God. He reached out to us. Again, the Lord adds their number daily. The next picture is this girl, Iris Garza. She's the one uh, right here with the the shirt that says, Don't quit, uh, which I love. She got baptized in a shirt that says, Don't quit. Um, so, so she she was about to start her freshman year in college, and she she wanted to join a, a campus ministry, and so she started just flipping through her phone, looking at different Facebook pages of different campus ministries, and she saw our campus ministry's Facebook page, and she thought nah, and you know went to kind of keep looking, and her phone froze, and so she said it, it must be a sign from God. And she came out to a Bible talk and loved it, and she's your sister in Christ. We can go to the next one. Uh, so, again, the girl who's wet, right? Um, that's Chantal de Leon. So this was actually last year. So last year, the brother who leads the church in Lima, Peru, was visiting us in the valley. We helped support mission work in South America. So he was visiting us. We were sitting at a Starbucks on Valentine's Day, he and I. And we were just talking about some things going on with the church down there. And Chantal decides she's going to pass out these, these Valentines to everybody in Starbucks. And, and she kind of walks by, hands us the Valentine. We, we kind of barely look up. Because, you know, Starbucks keeps you to pass out stuff. And just, so, so I just thought it was probably some sales thing. So we keep talking. And then I look at it and I say, oh, this is 1 Corinthians 13. Like, that's really cool. And she had gone back to sit down. And I went and talked to her. And she had her Bible open. She had this, like, this quiet time notebook. You know, kind of like, where do you go to church? Well, I go here, but I'm not really connected. And It was almost a, can you teach me kind of a moment. Um, so I put her in contact with our campus, with the, the girl that works at the campus. And uh, she was baptized two months later. And uh, she's helped another friend become a Christian. But again, she reached out to us. So... The next slide is, uh, this is Emily Herrera and, uh, and her brother Will Herrera. So um, Emily, when uh, the first Bible talk she came to was in the summer at our home before her freshman year in college. And uh, she was there hanging out and we're talking with her. Hey, what do you want to do? Again, this is before, you know, this is her first Bible talking before she even starts college. And she says, I want to be a missionary. Um, and so she, you know, over time, studies the Bible, becomes a Christian. Uh, right after she became a Christian, her brother, she called me and said, can you get with my brother? Because, you know, he's seen kind of what's going on with me. And, uh, and, you know, he wants to know what's going on. He's going through some things. So he, you know, it took him a couple months, studied the Bible, got baptized. But when Emily graduated, like a couple of years ago now from college, she went on a one-year challenge to Ecuador to go be a missionary. And she stayed and she's serving down there. And the church in Quito Ecuador. um which again just that's her heart you know the other cool thing that's just it's, it's always a miracle it's always so encouraging with the next slide is just the, when you have this campus ministry right you just get to have weddings um, and you get to see all these people coming together and you get to see them start we've gotten to see them start having babies and it's just so faith building to see how God works but, but the last story I want to share with you as I wrap up here is, uh, is about Central Christian Fellowship. I think the next slide is Howard and Lori Bloomquist. So a, a few years back, 2015, we were, uh, maybe 2014, we were looking for a place to meet. We had rented this warehouse. We had outgrown this warehouse. We were looking for a place to meet. Now where we live, there's not a lot of meeting space. The schools don't rent for you. So I'm just like walking into every church and calling every place that we could possibly find. And I... I, I you know, through the series of circumstances, I meet mean Howard Bloomquist, who's the, the preacher for a, a Christian church. And they start renting to us. And so we, we're meeting there in the afternoons, they're meeting there in the mornings, they're, you know, a small group of 30 to 40 people, and uh, he's Howard with 73 at the time, and, and so we're very grateful to them for letting us use the place. And they're a, they're a Christian church, so they, they believe a lot of the same things we do. They teach a lot of the same things we do. Um, and so Howard and I would have coffee from time to time. And about a year later, we sit down and have coffee. And he says, you know, Madam, I'm 74 now. I want to retire. I don't know about how to, you know, go about finding a minister. Um, what do you think? I'm like, what do you mean what I think? You haven't really said anything. I, um, he's like, well, well can, can we just, you know, can our two groups just kind of merge? Can we just kind of come together? Um, you guys pack out the parking lot and you have people drive from all over the place. I don't know how you do it, but can we just, can we just kind of join you up? Um And so, um, it, actually, Howard basically got in the place. His wife, and Lori, was pretty sick. So he would just basically come and preach. And his son, next slide. Um, uh, so, okay, this is, so I got ahead of myself. This is the church building. So part of the whole deal was, they said, hey, you know, basically we owe money still on the building, but you can have it. Um, so all of a sudden we have a place to meet that God just says, hey, here you go, this is yours. Um, so, so then, the next slide, this is this is Howard's son, Kirk, his wife, Essie, and their two kids, Braxton and Brooke. And so, basically, like I said, Howard, he would just preach. He would show up and preach, and that was it. Kirk and Essie did everything. Kirk and Essie led the worship, they, they organized everything, paid all the bills, opened and closed, and... Brooke would, you know, run basically the, the, the nursery if, if a kid happened to show up. And, and Braxton would run the PowerPoints. And, and it was just, that's, they just did it all. And they, for ten years, they just poured their lives into this church. And so, when we did this whole thing, we said, look, we would love for all the members of Central Christian Fellowship to join, you know, the RGB Christian Church. Um, but we just asked that you go through our membership process. Which meant, let's say the Bible. Uh, we'd love to have you join, but let's just make sure we're on the same page. And so we sat down with Kirk and Essie, and uh, you know, in the first time we had we had dinner with them, they just cried, and they're just like, we're so tired, and this has been so hard, and we don't know what to do. And but so we started doing these Bible studies with them, and and they just started to see, wow, like this is what we've been missing is really learning how to teach people, you know, methodically through Scripture. It was really awesome. It was really encouraging. But but there were there were a few times, especially as we started to get into sin and conversion and these kinds of things where, where Kirk would stop us and he'd say, Wait, what, what are you saying? Are you saying are you saying I'm not a Christian? Are you saying I'm not right with God? Are you saying that, that my baptism isn't valid? And we hadn't said any of that. We're like, dude, we're just reading the Bible. We're just we're just that's what the Bible says. And um, and you know, so he would get a little defensive. And uh, so we just were praying, and we're getting advice. And hey, what do we do? I mean, do we just, you know, do these guys just place membership? I mean, how do we how do we do this? Because it really seemed like he was It was going to be like no. And we just told him, look, if if you believe that you made Jesus Lord and repented and were baptized, and you can say that and teach that, then come on in. Like, you and they really were. They were incredible people, hearts of disciples, and. Um, it was so we were getting towards the end of the Bible studies, and we're kind of getting to that point where we're just going to go ahead and add them to the membership. And Kurt grabs me is uh, January uh, was it January 15th. It all runs together now. Maybe January 16th. Um, and so he, he grabs me at a midweek and he says, "Matt, I need to get about that." And I'm just like, "Whoa, Where did that come from? Like, you haven't said anything like that the whole time." And we, again, we have not talked about it. We were just praying that the Holy Spirit would work and move his heart. And he said, you know, the past two months, God has been waking me up at 2.30 in the morning. And, and just, just, it's just my pride. And so the next Wednesday, he said, hey, my wife, she already knows. She's ready. She's waiting on me to figure it out. So, so next slide. So. Ready?
1: <laughs> I' think I'm in the.
0: Group. <laughs> we can go to the next one. It's, it's like Apollo. You know It says that Apollos was preaching and teaching, but he just needed, he just needed some some, some more teaching. He needed a little bit of help to make sure he was presenting it correctly. And so the thing about Kirk and Essie, you see their joy. They have become like our right hand. They've become just some of our best friends. And, uh, and the thing is, they just, they preach the word. And so in the time since, if we can go to the next slide, um, this is Clint and Amber Franklin. And so Clint and Kirk worked together. And uh, so he brought them out and they started coming to church and they studied the Bible and they got baptized probably about, I think just a few months after Kirk and Essie did. And then the next slide is uh this is actually kirk's brother kevin and his wife maddie who they, they were projects and they took a while but kind of the same thing god just worked on their hearts and, and about a year later they were both outside and then the next slide this is uh ryan and lizette Gilmack. a sister reached out to them at a mcdonald's but then kirk and essie were part of their bible studies and helping them become christians and then the next slide is uh robert and Isa lasquez and uh, again just they came out kirk and essie studied the bible with them they got baptized, and then what's really cool is Kirk and Essie's daughter Brooke, which is the next picture here. Uh, you know, same thing with her. She had grown up in this. She had been baptized, but but she knew, hey, okay, I gotta I gotta really talk about what it means to be a disciple. So we got to see her baptized. I guess a year and a half ago, something like that. And um, and then they're actually probably in the next couple weeks they have another couple that they're finishing up the Bible studies with, and that they're gonna baptize. I mean, all that's in the last two years. So these are just people who are just sharing the faith studying the Bible with people. It's just amazing to see God do miracles. It's so encouraging, but it's not about them. It's not about us. It's not about Maurice and Lauren. And it's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. It's about the things He's done. It's about His story It's about the things He's going to do. Thank you for the time with you guys. You guys are amazing. Love you all.